welcome back. Thanks for joining us in our second season of Beyond the Illusion. We're excited to be back and we're grateful to all of our listeners as we explore these topics together. Today, we're honored to be starting off the new season with a conversation with our guest Michael Hoffman. Michael has a very interesting life story with more than his fair share of ups and downs. He's definitely been through a lot and made it through some very difficult times in his life. But he's a remarkably resilient character and keeps a positive outlook on life despite the challenges he's had to face over the years. He's an excellent example of the strength we all have inside of us to overcome any obstacle in life. Michael has written a book under the pen name Patrick J. McCallick titled The Face of the Iguana. And he's done a lot of good work outside of writing to help others. Now, let's go to the conversation with him where he's going to tell us about his life and his book. I grew up in, I was born and raised in Mexico, and I uh, lived in a small town, and it was a town that's somewhat close to Mexico City. Uh, It was, uh, I lived in a very dysfunctional family. My father was a violent alcoholic, and uh, my mother had uh, different episodes of almost losing her life because of the violence that my father uh, imposed uh, not only on her but on us as children. Many times uh, we would have to intervene as a matter of fact in attacks from my father to, I know in one case, to save her life. Uh, So it was very tumultuous. It was very traumatic for not only me, but my two sisters. And so having that as a background, uh, as I was charted, or I was uh, charted off or carted off rather, I should say to various boarding schools. And I grew up in a Catholic family. And so I had to go to this, when I went to this boarding school, that didn't work out. They'd send me to another one. So I was going from one boarding school to another. Finally, they came to the point where he says, um, well, we don't know what to do with, uh, with him. He's, he can't seem to be adjusted. He's not, he's not functioning. And my father, at one point, um, went on a binge and disappeared. And that was at the time when my grandfather and another family member said, well, let's put him in uh, an orphanage that uh, was run by a, a Catholic priest that they knew. So these were, these were poor people, poor kids. They were um, basically orphans. They really were orphans. But the priest took me in. And so how old were you around that time? So that was about, uh, I was about 10 years old. Oh, okay. So you were really young. Yes, very young. And I lived most of my childhood with fear and anxiety, with the dysfunctionality of uh, my father's drinking. And eventually, my mother had to divorce my father. And she couldn't take us with her back to the States because my father said, well, for every attorney you have, I'll have five of them. So I'm keeping the kids which really turned out better because he had the money, my, my mother didn't. 
But it wasn't good in terms of the effect that it had on me and on my psyche. So I felt the abandonment from my mother, and I felt the abandonment from uh, my closest family members, my grandfather and uh, another family member. They just threw me into the orphanage and says, okay, they'll take care of them there. And it was such a shock to my system. I had to, I couldn't eat the food. The food was barely edible. I had to learn how to fish weevils out of beans, and they would teach me how to do that. If we if we did anything wrong, we were we had they we were paddled in front of everybody, and it was just one thing after another after another after another. I was bullied. Uh, you're a white boy. You're what? What are you doing here? You know you don't belong here. Uh, so what's wrong with your family that they abandon you? And so that that just brought in all kinds of more guilt, a more sense of abandonment, um, and it just kept building and building and building and building. So you can imagine a 10-year-old going through all of that, uh, actually even sooner than that, from since I was five years old, all of this was going on. So then I decided, well, I need to find a way to get out of this orphanage. So I decided, well, there's a seminary here. There's a Catholic seminary downtown, and they want uh, vocations. So I'll go do a talk. And I was about 12 years old back then. And um, they recruit them really young in Mexico. Um, so I went, and they took me. And I didn't realize from a fear point of view, uh, actually what was happening was I was <laughs> jumping from the 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 fire and from the fire pan into the fire and it was the beginning really of uh, indoctrination into fear-based belief systems and there is nothing that can be more impressionable uh, to a young a young kid when your spiritual director tells you well, you better not do this or you better not do that because Satan is right around the corner and he's going to go out and he's going to grab you. And, he's, and you know, you might not make it to heaven. You might, you're not, you might just go straight to hell. So you can imagine what this fear pornography that I call it is doing to, to my psyche. To, so this is building up especially a young impressionable mind oh totally totally it's like well you know i thought jesus was supposed to be love and i thought god was supposed to be love and then they're telling me all this stuff and so my fight flight response in in the brain got trained at a very very early age and i think even during um, my hypnotherapy session with you tiana I felt the fear even in, in utero, mm-hmm. I, and that fear was that was really an, a, a wake up for me because I didn't realize that the fear was even coming into incarnation. It was there, and it was just like, get me out of here! I don't want to be around there, this environment. So, so I I moved on. Uh, I fortunately was able to go to the states. I went to uh, junior high school high school um, and uh, then university, and I kind of got away from all that. The only thing is that every 
Christmas or every holiday, I'd have to go back down and face the same thing. You know, my father's violence, his, his uh, idiosyncrasies, his attacks, his put-downs. And I'm not saying he was a, a, a monster. I, I'm not saying that. I think he had his very good parts. He was, he was a loving man, but he was just an injured man. He, he, was, he was hurting. But that hurt spilled over. How many people do we have like that right now? I mean, we have, I mean, there's tons and tons and thousands and thousands of stories of, of individuals who are caught, caught in those dysfunctional families. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to an abusive parent. What, I mean, it doesn't have to be physical abuse. It can be mental, emotional abuse or an alcoholic parent. And although your, you know, your story is quite extreme to have all of these things at such a young age you know that alone is so traumatic but then to also be abandoned at an orphanage and then have abuse there and then have that happen in, in the seminary it's just incredible everything that you've been through it's sort of a master class in in evolving through you know fear right yes exactly and I got put downs. I, I, there, don't get me wrong; it wasn't just you know doom and gloom. It was there were a lot of uh, people, not only in the orphanage but also in the seminary, who were supportive and loving and caring. And I think that uh, if I didn't have those people as a support system, it really would have gone south. Um, I was thinking that, like, I was wondering what, how did you get through that? What you know carried you through? You know, that's, that is a really good question. And I think the only answer to that is these wonderful, beautiful souls were put in my path to hold me up and to cheer me on and to say, hey, we, we're, we are giving you love and, and compassion and we're, gonna, we're urging you to, to stick to it. Uh, you're going to get through this. Yeah, I was going to say, I think what's different about you maybe at this point is that you were able to recognize like it wasn't all bad, you know, because I think a lot of people would get to this point and then just only remember the bad and focus on that and feel bad for themselves. But, you know, even like you said about your dad, how you eventually came to understand that he did have good aspects, you know, and, and, you, and even in the book, you say that you forgave him. Like, you know, oh. you knew he was just in fear himself and hurting himself. Oh, yeah, he was a very sick man. And I think... I had, I came to the point where I had to have compassion for him. And I could not forgive him without compassion. And compassion to me is translated into really understanding from a psychological point of view what he went through and what he was suffering. He was dual diagnosed, uh, he was an alcoholic, he was, uh, he had all kinds of psychiatric uh, issues going on. So I have to. I have to keep that in mind. So once you have compassion, it's easier to forgive. I think compassion and forgiveness go together. One doesn't uh, preclude the other. And, and forgiveness is such a key component in your own healing. It's such a necessary component that people forget that, you know, the value of that, doing that just for yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. I could not have released the suffering and the memories of the suffering that I had with my father and with the cult leader that we'll talk about here in a minute without having that compassion and that forgiveness. 
So speaking of the cult, I went, came, came to the States, went to high school, uh, college, you know, and graduated and got a really good job in the juvenile justice system. And three years later, I am involved in this doomsday Armageddon cult. What drew you to that? You know, um, I was in a cult myself, and I haven't really told that story yet here. Um, and and, and it, it, it's different from your story. But um, but I know that if and when I do tell people, I have told you know people some people that are close to me. It's not something that I have in the past freely divulged. But I feel like we're moving into a time where we just want to be our authentic self and just put it all out there. And if people don't get it, then that's fine. They don't get it. I accept who I am in my journey. But I know that I would be wondering. I would be asking myself like, yeah, how how does one get into a cult? What what drew you to that? Well, my childhood and everything that happened in my childhood and the trauma was just begging to be uh, healed, forgiven, uh, transformed, transmuted, if you will. And I was just aching to have that that healing. And the this cult came around, and um, of course, I had a lot of. A lot of the regular questions people have: Why am I here? What's this all about? Uh, what's uh, what does this lifetime mean? And on and on and on. So I wanted those questions answered, but I also wanted this healing. And I was seduced is the only word I can really come up with to understand how I got involved. And once I was involved in this doomsday cult, there was no getting out of it. It seemed like because the way cults work is that they induce a, through a very subtle form of, of hypnosis, they hypnotize you into believing that if you, you that you're special, they appeal to your ego. Uh, you, the great cosmic beings, quote unquote, uh, they brought you here. And if you weren't special, you wouldn't be here. So my ego goes, oh, wow, I'm special. Oh, that yeah, that's good, right? And uh, so that was the big, the little carrot that was dangling in front of me. And of course, I grabbed onto it. Once I was in it, since I have a psychology, psychology background, I'm, I'm, I've always been an observer of human behaviors. And I started to see a pattern with my cult mates I saw in them the same symptoms that I had and stories in their childhood that were very similar to my story. Do you think that, yeah, I mean, your childhood had so much instability in it, right? There was no security. There was no safety. And here's this um, group or this leader that has the answers, right? right? And that's, that's... there is a certain stability and security in the group, in the the charismatic leader that that has you know this ideology that has the answers. Right, and and that's that's what drew me in because I made a lot of assumptions, and as a cognitive behavioral counselor, I uh, one of the first things that. We learn as as cognitive counselors is the thinking errors, and one of the main thinking errors is jumping to conclusions, is to make uh, assumptions 
when you don't have enough evidence to back up those assumptions. So I didn't bother to question. I was like the little sheep being herded in with all the little little sheeps, other sheep rather, and we were just like, uh, oh, whatever you say, whatever you say, uh, oh, I'm here because I'm special, blah, blah, blah. But the way that they kept me there was, don't you dare leave because if you leave, you're going to incur an incredible uh, punishment from these all-loving cosmic beings, (laughs) quote-unquote. So once you were there, once they had your money, once they had your resources, your time, all that, then they go, you have to do what we tell you to do because they are channeling all this information for you and and they're saying that you need to stay here because you have a special place they want you to go to mexico and latin america and and recruit as many people as possible finally after about a year and a half of that uh, it was starting to dawn on me okay i know what this is all about this is about money it's about power and control Um, power and control over us because we were vulnerable and um the resources were were just flowing in because we had to take these courses. Those courses were very expensive. And of course, one thing led to the other. So I think the takeaway from all of that was, I think the, then this just doesn't happen with people in cults. It happens everywhere. It happens in our churches today. It happens when you follow somebody without stopping and saying, what does this feel like in, what does this person or what this person is saying feel like? Is, does this feel like the truth? Is it something, is it fear-based? Is it, is it loving? Is it caring? Is it uplifting? And we don't stop and thinking, I think, and analyze, well, what is this all about? We just blindly follow. Yeah, we live in a very fear-based culture. I mean, that kind of indoctrination is happening in our social media, in the news, in the advertisements. And so it might not be one source and we might not, the way that in a culture usually sort of um, slowly kind of excluding outside sources and just getting your information mostly from one source and even though it's not happening like that it still is all these same sources different sources are saying the same thing that oh you need to look like this uh you know you need to have this much money and you know and so we are getting that indoctrination um regardless i mean i think most people will not relate with being in a cult like you and I, but you can relate to your your religion indoctrinates you, right. your society indoctrinates you, your the political party indoctrinates you. Right. And, um, and so like you're saying, like, to kind of find your mm-hmm. own inner wisdom through feeling and going within. And that's difficult to do when you're, when you're going through a lot of anguish and anxiety and um, I mean, there were points. Uh, it was so. It was so negative. That I saw all my cult mates. They were like zombies. And I go, this, this, this is not right. This is not right. And uh, they were zombies because they were. 
they were in an altered state of consciousness. And the way that they would also, this is really interesting in terms of uh, how they would manipulate our, our brain waves. Uh, we would have to chant for hours on end, and we chant and chant and chant. And uh, when we when you chant, your your brain waves go down to delta, I mean theta, and immediately after we stop chanting, then these cosmic beings would be channeled through the cult leader. And of course, that's that's the open door to the subconscious mind. It's very insidious, and they knew what they were doing. That's the first time I've ever heard that. You know, I read that in your book, and when you said that, I was like, wow, that does make a lot of sense, though, because when you are chanting like that for, or doing anything repeatedly for a long time, right. you do go into a trance automatically. Right, right. you do. Yeah, and then, yeah. like you said, it's the doorway to the subconscious, right. which is like, you know, you could program someone that way, really. So, and this really hit home because I'm, I also am a certified neurofeedback provider, brainwave biofeedback. And so after the two years of my um, studies and internship, it finally dawned on me when I was doing what we do in um, neurofeedback, which is called alpha theta, which is eyes closed. And we work with uh, a lot of uh, clients with uh, anxiety and alcohol issues. And it's, it's that doorway once you are in theta, which is four to seven hertz, it's the doorway to the subconscious mind. So like Tiana would um, do her induction, what we call the induction in a hypnotherapy session. Uh, and then once she would assess whether or not I was or anybody was in that four to seven hertz range, then that's the open doorway to the subconscious. They knew exactly what they were doing because they would make us actually go into those states. And a lot of them, a lot of uh, us would fall asleep. We would actually go into Delta. And that's even worse because that's a very low frequency. And the, the studies that I've um, been reading recently have shown that that's a super opening to the deepest levels of your subconscious and subconscious minds. So if you're really going to do some programming, you're going to do it at that frequency. This happens in our churches as well. And I'm not, I'm not here to, to bash religion. I think, you know, whatever belief system is good for you, it's, that's fine. If you feel comfortable with it and it uh, gives you uh it gives you spirit. Gives your spirit a uh, a way to communicate with your creator. That's great. That's fantastic. I, I'm not here to to lambash any type of belief system. However, I will say this: if any belief system hurts, then you should stop and reconsider. Mm -hmm. No belief system should hurt or cause you suffering in any way. And that includes guilt, self condemnation. Mm -hmm. or any type of um, uh, abreaction that is going to be uh, counter to your welfare and your well-being. And I think this is a really important message because we just follow into that pattern of just, well, whatever the pastor says or whatever the priest says, that's, that's, that's I guess, is the, the way it should be. 
And uh, so we should just follow to the letter to the law of what he says or what it says in this book or that book or this sacred book, whatever it is, whichever it was, it is. We have to understand that humans are humans and they make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And that n- n- the only absolute truth that we're going to find is really within ourselves. And I really, really like um, Frances Key in her book, The, the Team. She says, we are, we are human bodies. We are not human bodies that have a soul. We are souls having a human body. But it, I think we have to understand that the, the answer really is within ourselves and we have to learn how to become quiet. And one thing that really I never abandoned after I left the cult, because I abandoned all religion afterwards, I thought, I'm not having to do anything, any, any of this stuff anymore. I'm not going to be traumatized with this anymore. And the only thing that I kept was meditation. I think that really saved me. And I meditated faithfully. And I just tried to get into that peace and quiet and just go within. And it's not easy. But once you get to a point where you can you can practice it and get into that silent, that silence where the still small voice can talk to you, that's when I think things start to happen in your life. Yeah, and I, I always tell people there's many different types of meditation because a lot of people, I struggled with meditation too when I first um, was attempting it. Try different ways. There's so many different forms of meditation until you find the right one that clicks. And I also feel that energy work, like when I do Reiki, Reiki puts me in that state. So energy work is another possibility for people who are having difficulty with meditation. But there needs to be some way to go within yourself and it's funny it's not just even these cults but there's even religions that discourage you from going within from I I remember so the cult that I was in was sort of a yoga cult and um funny enough though uh when I was ahead of a center and meditation was part of the practice that we did in our classes and there were some people that came because this was in um, Katy, Texas. So, you know, right outside of Houston, there were people that came and said, well, but my pastor said, if you quiet the mind, the devil's going to come in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I, 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 it was kind of shocking to me because I had always lived in places that were pretty um, liberal and hadn't really lived somewhere more conservative and so hadn't been really around people that had this sort of belief system. So it was very shocking to me that, wow, can you imagine if if you believe that, then you never want to have your mind quiet. What Then you could never really have true peace if you believed that the devil's going to come in. Right. And so just how, how that fear would be just controlling all your all of your time all of yeah. your life it's it's the ultimate control i mean yeah what kind of life do you have anyway we never quiet your mind down my goodness yeah that's well i sadly i think a lot of people do live like that you know because mm-hmm. there are so many ways to distract ourselves now that you probably could go long periods of time without really quieting down up there that's just a crazy thought to me because I feel like I need that, you know, like I can't just go on and on and on without like taking a, you know, a 
at least an hour, you know, every other day or so to be quiet and just be with myself. And, um, yeah, I I don't know that, like you were saying, you know, that's like how, that's how you get in touch with your inner self. It's the only way I know of. Right. And yet there, there are belief systems that are teaching us not to trust our inner self, right? Mm -hmm. That's the, the whole thing with fear. It's all about control, right? Fear is the best way to control people. And so yeah. if you can uh, get people to believe not to trust themselves, uh, that's the ultimate tool. It, it, that's really interesting what you're saying, Diana, because to me, as I look back on uh, everything that's happened to me uh, at my 71 years of age, I realize how seditious the ego can be. The ego wants to control and have power over other people. And that's how the, how the, the ego in its, in its um, I won't say evil, but it's uh, malicious expression. For example, the cult leader. Uh, the cult leader just was an energy uh, viper. It was the cult leader fed off the energy that we were giving the cult leader with our attention, with our money, with our resources. And the ego was just, I mean, it was on a huge trip of uh, feeding off of all of this energy. And the ego loves to have power and control, but sometimes it seems so subtle that we don't understand it and we don't, we're not aware of it. So I think we have to be very cautious about people who start talking about fear-based concepts and trying to impose this on us because we don't have to accept that. And I think once we, we flex to our independent risking strength and we say, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to have to think that uh, on my own because I'm not going to just blindly accept it because you say that. Did you call that the independent risking strength? Can you tell us more about that? Yes. It, this comes actually from the uh, Opposite Strengths program that uh, Dr. Uh, Jay Thomas and Dr. Tommy Thomas from the University of Texas here in Austin. I uh, have, um, they, it's a wonderful, wonderful program. It's probably the best kept secret on, um, on our strengths, uh, our relationships, um, and some of us lead from, we, we both have two primary str- strengths, thinking and risking. We do both. But some of us tend to, like being left-handed or right-handed, tend to express one strength more than the other. I lead from risking. It was really easy for me to just jump right into that cult. And I'm a dependent risker as opposed to an independent risker. So, of course, whatever the whole group wants to do, I'm right in there with them. So I was doubly prepared to be seduced by all of those fear-based beliefs because uh, I didn't stop and say, wait a minute, is this feel right? Does this, is this the right thing to do? Have you, have I questioned everything that I need to question? I didn't question. I just blindly accepted. And I think what we all have to do is even though we are dependent riskers, we have to flex to our independent risking and say 
stop. I'm not going to do what everybody else is doing. I'm going to think this through. And I'm if it doesn't feel right, I'm not going to go through with it. And I explain that in my book I, because I think that's really a critical piece to understand ourselves better because we... If once we know what our growth challenges are, and this is what I love about the program, we don't have faults. We have growth, growth challenges. And I think in the Michael Newton uh, information, the research, it's really the same thing that we're we are learning is. Well, if you have if you accept the concept of karma, karma is not punishment. Right. It's not. It's not punishment. Karma is learning. It's just re learning or relearning as we need to. And I know a lot of people don't understand or accept the concept of karma and reincarnation, and that's fine. You don't have to. That doesn't take it away or nullify it. But even if we could just understand that we have growth challenges. And we need to face our growth challenges if we're and I think what happens is when we don't face our growth challenges, we get stuck. Mm-hmm. And I like to refer to that as paradigm paralysis. Paradigms are mental models. And when we are set, dead set on our paradigms, then we become paralyzed. We get stuck. And that stuckness is what prevents us from growing. Totally. You know, I like that you have these you know slight semantics changes that changes the whole meaning you know I, I've been realizing that how powerful that can be in my own life recently where I will say instead of saying like oh I'm terrible at this I'll just say oh I'm, I'm feeling insecure about myself right now instead of like saying that I'm not worthy in some way I will just change the slightly you know change the wording and then it takes on a whole different meaning and Mm -hmm. you realize like oh yeah that's actually more accurate like you were saying with the growth challenges thing you know I love that because it it kind of takes that away like you know we are perfect the way we are even with all our so-called faults you know they're really just growth challenges like you were saying you know and I love that yeah when you change the syntax it changes the whole meaning And that's when you go into a paradigm shift. You start thinking outside the box. Paradigms are mental models, and we have rules and regulations within that box that tell us how to be successful. And once we get outside of those rules and start thinking in a different way, changing our syntax, for example, then we have different perspectives. Then we are free to say, oh, I think this this other way probably would work better. But we have to make we have to take that risk. And I think it's okay to make observations about ourselves and saying, I'm feeling insecure. But that doesn't mean that's reality. I'm just having that feeling. And that feeling could be coming from somebody else. Because we are all interconnected. We're all in this mesh of interconnectedness. It's it's the quantum field, if you will. It's it's this is all physics. It's quantum physics. And so we all are connected, we're interconnected, and we affect everything that we do affects the whole universe. Yeah, and I think, you know, this mental models, this paradigm, if we will just look at them as tools that we utilize, you know, to learn and grow at a certain point, 
And then at some point I might outgrow that model and now I need a new one. And so it doesn't make sense to me that we would have all the same models, those mental models or paradigms from childhood um, throughout our life because hopefully we're growing and evolving and so then we need to be open to new possibilities, new ways of thinking, new ways of expressing that will uh, create more opportunities for growth. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and I liked, I really like what you just said, Diana, because that also reminds me that the only way that I was able to really understand what my growth challenges were was to take the role of the observer and get out of myself and just observe and listen to my behaviors and to my thinking and not judge and not take a stand one way or the other, just observe. Oh, I see what he's doing. I see what he's thinking. I see what he's feeling. What am I learning from this? What what lessons can I take away from uh, this, these observations? And what's, where is that going to lead me to? And that's when you do the paradigm shift. That's when you step through the portal to another dimension, so to speak. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, it does. I think that's a really helpful tip for people maybe who are wanting to know how to move out of fear but maybe they don't feel ready for formal meditation is that first they could do like what you're saying is just to learn how to witness themselves or observe which really is meditation but you know when people think of meditation they think of this closing their eyes and being in a quiet room but really you could be meditating throughout the day just by having this exactly. witness or observer perspective of watching your reactions and your feelings mm -hmm. and your thoughts exactly and the other piece to that the other dimension to that is not to judge ourselves because when you get to judging then oh that's bad oh that's not good oh that's not going to work and then you get into all of that uh, narrative of well, you just go on and on and on and on, and you get caught in this dialogue, this self-dialogue, and you don't do anything. You don't get anything accomplished. You don't make any changes in your life. Yeah, it's hard to get out of that. You know, you just, you know, when you do start looking at your own thoughts and, and observing, and then you realize one comes along and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? I don't like that. We're not going to do that again. You know, it's, you do get caught in that. It's easy yeah, to, you very have to easy. kind of let go of that, I think. Well, because we're conditioned to think that way. We're conditioned to judge. We're conditioned to say, that's good. That's not, that's bad. That's horrible. And so that's all conditioning. That's social hypnosis right there. And once we recognize it, then we're onto it. And then we caught it in its, in its, in its tricks and its, it's little deceiving ways that it, it entraps us and it loses its power. It yeah. loses its grip. Is that kind of what happened to you towards the end of the, the being in the cult? Yes, I finally, I was able to, I, I knew what they were up to. And um, I just said to myself, I know that I have something to do in my life that's special. I don't care what these people are saying because I'm disbelieving what they're saying. Uh, it came to the, that point. And um, so I said, I'm, I'm going to leave. But of course, I had this thing hanging over me that I was in the organization and I had to really be very clever about how I was going to get out. So I told them, 
one morning I woke up and it was just there and um, I had the solution. I said, I went to the one of the cult leaders or the lieutenants and I said, you know, my grandmother, she's really, really wealthy. She's a multimillionaire and she lives in Mexico. And she just said that, uh, well, she's dying and so she wants to take care of her estate, but we all have to be there present in order for us to receive the millions of dollars. Well, of course, their eyes got as big as saucers and said, oh, I think you better go down to Mexico. And I said, well, I think I better too, because if not, you know, I won't be able to contribute all these millions to the to the organization. And that's how I was able to escape. That's how I was able to get out of it. I knew what their game was and I played it against them. And they they just they did, went right for it. Wow. So and you talk I didn't get to this part yet, but did they come <laughs> after you? Did they try to? Um I just I found out just recently my brother-in-law told me that they came looking for me in 1985. Um and um my father, being as charming and clever that he was, and when, especially when he wasn't drinking, he invited them in, fed them, uh, gave them something to drink and all that. Of course, they don't drink alcohol, you know, so. And so he and just chit-chatted with them and everything. So they finally came to the question, well, where, where's Michael? Where, where's Mike? What did he, what happened to him? And then my, my father, clever as he was, he says, you know, I really don't know. But if you find out, will you please let me know? <laughs> and that was the end of that conversation. They were out of there in no time. Um, and I told my brother, I said, why didn't you tell me? Um, why, how come I was never told this? Well, you, your dad didn't want to, to get all upset because he knew how much you had been affected by that. And he did realize that later on in life, that how much I had been affected by that and how much money they'd gotten out of me. And so he was he was sensitive to that. And so I, I mean, I'm very grateful to him. Yeah. Yeah, for that. And you had other family members that were concerned about you as you were in the cult, right? That wanted to get you out of it. My sister, yes, my sister, um, my two sisters, um, all, all, my, all my family, my mother, uh, they were they were just mortified that I was and they tried to find out what they could could be done, maybe to kidnap me and take me through deprogramming or whatever. And of course, that cost lots of money, That so that wasn't going to happen. Um, but I actually found a book that I used, and that came, that just came to me. And I used that book to deprogram myself because it was total contradiction to, it was an earlier version of what this cult had uh, was, but it was very positive. And it was saying, these cosmic beings were saying the exact opposite of what the, this cult leader was saying. So I used that as, okay, wait a minute, somebody's lying here. And I bet this one right here, because it's the more negative, this one's lying. So I'm going to go with this one. And that's how I was able to. Oh, kind of start the process. Yes. Okay, so and you you found that book while you were in the cult still? Yes. Okay. Yes, towards yeah. the end. Okay. And then I slowly started to deprogram and deprogram. And I would underline and I, I, I would make, I would have cards and I would write on the cards 
the important piece and I would keep them in my pocket and I would look at these cards and I say, oh, that's right. This says this. So I, I can dismiss what this person is saying over here. And we were totally, we were completely prohibited from having this book. This was like, I mean, this was poison. You, you're going to get sapped by the cosmic beings if you had this book. I mean, it was, uh, so it, uh, it was very, very obvious, you know, what they yeah. were doing. It was very obvious. When you first left the cult, because um, for me, I didn't have as traumatic of an experience, um, but other people that I knew that were in the same cult um, did because we we came from a different place and, you know, so there, it was we had different experiences. Um, but I did for for several years after leaving i would still have they weren't nightmares quite but i would kept having these dreams where i was still in it or these people uh the, the people that were in it were in my dreams and things like this and i was wondering after you left what you did because your experience seems pretty traumatic if you had these kinds of dreams and what you did to sort of um clear that and heal that and release that I had dreams, but they were really strange in the sense that the cult leader was nice to me and didn't pay attention to me. And I was able to be free and pretend that I was still going along with the narratives and, and the dialogues of, the, of what they were preaching. So it was very strange that I would have those dreams. So they weren't traumatic dreams. The real nightmares were when I was awake. Because I, it came to the point where I would have periods of dissociation. And um, uh, from a psychological point of view, dissociation is when you're in a state of dissociation, it's like you lose your identity and it's like you're in a dream. And that's the way your psyche protects itself mm -hmm. from harm because it feels like it's under attack. Because the brain, when it, when it remembers a traumatic experience, it's like happening in the present moment. Right. And so I have periods of dissociation that went on for, for days. I came to one point where I had to take pictures of my high school yearbook. And I would have to take pictures of myself in those pictures, in, in various scenes of my high school, so I could re-identify what it felt like at that time. And so I would regain my sense of identity. It was that bad. Were you seeing some type of therapist or anything at this point? When no. You, like, how did you, um, yeah, how did you, because just leaving the organization doesn't, you know, just heal you on its own. What what were the kind of steps or stages that you went through to get to the man that you are now with all this forgiveness and compassion and from that person at that point who still had a lot of trauma? You know, Tiana, to be honest with you, I don't know. I really don't. And I didn't I didn't seek any help. I just knew that I was going to be able to get out of it. I knew it. I just knew it. And I abandoned all types of religion, all types of belief systems. I couldn't, you know, my family would go to Mass, and i go, no, that's not for me, and so on and so forth. So I just, um, but then recently in 2012, I started to read 
books would start coming to me. This book on, and I started reading about physics, quantum physics. I started to see what or understand what was as opposed to what could be. I was in the world of what could be. Now I needed to go into the world of what was, which is called practical thinking as opposed to theoretical thinking. So I immersed myself in physics. I immersed myself in science. And I said, okay, this is, this is real, not what that cult leader was saying. And all these books started coming to me, and I liked the Tao Te Ching, and that was very, that was not threatening at all. It was very uh, friendly. It was inviting. I really latched on to the Taoism and the, the philosophy of life of the Taoist. Then in 2012, I had a, a spiritual experience, totally unexpected, completely caught me off, completely off guard. I didn't know what to make of it. And uh, I was already working in a, um, a um, criminal justice system. And one morning, I suddenly saw myself. It was very strange. I was in an altered state of consciousness. And I explain it in my book. I, I kind of narrate what it was all about. But it was just so diff different uh, for me talking about it as opposed to what I actually felt. Because... It was like I was in front of this man that had violet blue eyes, that it was luminous. And I go, wait a minute, is this some kind of a dream? Is this, if this is a dream, this is really, this is very unusual. And I looked at this man and he was asking me to come closer to him. And I knew this man, but I could not figure out where I had seen him before. And he says, Michael, you are going to enter a new life a new period in your life where your life is going to be transformed. What I was feeling at the time was intense, unconditional love. I was so overwhelmed by it, I could barely, I, I know I was barely breathing. And the peace that I felt, the only phrase that came into my conscious awareness was the peace that passes all understanding. And I go, now I understand what that's like. And it was overwhelming. I mean, I was just like bathed in this 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 peace and love. And I go, what is happening to me? I mean, in the back of my mind, uh, the consciousness, conscious awareness saying, what is this all about? And he said, this is your initiation into a new period in your life. And this is real. This is not a dream. And he said, I want you to go over to that man over there. And I looked over to my right. And there was this man with uh, glasses on. He said, uh, I want you to go over there. And so I walked over there. And I said, he says, take his hands. I said, well, why would I take his hands? And he said, take his hands. And so I took his hands. And I could smell alcohol coming off his breath. He says, I want you to heal him, help him heal. And I want you to help others to heal like him. And that was the end of that experience. And I was completely paralyzed. Once I was I came out of that that experience, I was completely paralyzed. I couldn't move in my bed. And in a sense I didn't want to move because I I still I was just basking in this energy. And I I said, I did that really happen? I mean I just I could not believe that it had actually had happened. 
And we're conditioned in the Catholic Church saying, well, you know, only saints have visions and stuff like that. So it's really interesting when I wrote about it in my book, nobody mentioned anything about it. I found that I found that very interesting because I I suppose most of the people who read this is he just had a dream. Yeah, poor thing. So, but no, it, it was a real experience. And my whole life changed after that. And the thing that really tipped the scale in terms of collapsing 40 years of intermittent PTSD was the were the books of Michael Newton, uh, Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls. That completely collapsed 40 years of PTSD. It was like my soul recognizing what was. And I and I made a, I made a vow before I even would look into any other type of belief system. It had to be evidential. It had to be positive. It could not be fear-based. And it had to have a message that was going to help mankind. And all those requirements were met. That's great parameters, yeah. Yeah. So what did you do after that experience? Did you go and start to help people? or? Yes, I, I was involved in a cognitive group for high-risk offenders. And so I I worked with them for 10 years oh, okay. in the cognitive behavioral program. So, I mean, very high-risk behaviors, very high-risk uh, offenders. And it was a wonderful program. It was a wonderful program. I, a lot of, a lot of our probationers would write me even years afterwards saying how much that course meant. And I think a lot of that, I'm not, I'm not going to say, I can't, I don't know. I, I just know there was a lot of energy when I gave that, that, that course or when I was working with them, there was this extra energy that I could feel coming that was present, let's put it that way. I don't know if it was coming through me, but it was there, which really changed the whole environment. It was like a, a force field of energy that just made learning so much easier and, and helped them understand better how to make better decisions in their life. And I would think it, it would only a certain kind of person. So somebody who has faced such darkness in their life could then work with a very serious high-risk offender. Um, I, th I mean, it seems like your life experiences sort of set you up to be able to help this certain kind of person as one aspect of what you do. But I, I don't think that I would feel comfortable working with that demographic. And so I think that there is a certain... It's interesting how the pieces of our life fall into place. Yes. And I just knew that the only way that I could do this is if I had the help of of my own divine presence, my own spark of divinity, because we are all, we are all sparks of divinity. Um, I don't mean to get mushy about this, but um, it's that flow of love and wisdom, unconditional love and wisdom that that when we tap into it, it's available to us. It's the door is always open, but we have to walk through that door. And tap into that energy. And I think that's what really helped me to really turn that program into a successful program. When I was about ready to retire, a lot of people said, that, what's going to happen to our program? What's going to happen to our program? Well, I, I'm, I'm not um, singing praises to myself, but I have to give credit to where credit's due. And that's 
a power that's uh, a higher power that was working in that program. But I think everybody could do that if you could just open the door and realize that we all have access to to that fount of wisdom. I don't know if does that make sense. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, I think if you are open to it, that kind of energy can come into your life. Um, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I sometimes I feel that in here. You know, I, I get really warm, and it's not very warm in here. And um, I don't know what that is, but it doesn't happen to me outside of this room <laughs> usually. <laughs> really? But when we have a good conversation going in here, I always get that. Yeah, and I start to feel really warm. Well, but I can understand what you're talking about, though. It's Well, when we're talking about this, we are tapping into that energy. Yeah. It's quantum physics. It's where our attention goes, our energy flows into it. So we're, 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 we're putting our attention upon uh, unconditional love. And that's what, that's all that there is. When it, when it boils down to what this universe is about is unconditional love. There's people out there that have never experienced unconditional love, right? People that had unloving childhoods and, um, and then that set the paradigm for them or that mold. What do you suggest for... You know, there's people that think that that's, that's a not real, unconditional love. That doesn't really exist. And, and so then they don't open the door because they don't believe. Like, how can we help those people to open their belief about unconditional love? Well, we are not separated from source. And by source, I mean, uh, if you want to use, I don't like to use the word God because it's been... Um, I think overused and um, misinterpreted. Source is when you are in touch with source, you are in, you are in touch with uni- the unity that exists everywhere in the universe. So when I was going through all of the bad things in my life, the things that made me suffer, that was an expression of unconditional love. That was source helping me to get to the point where I was able to develop without that. So that was really an expression of unconditional love. But that's a huge paradigm shift that you have to make. Yeah, I think we get that. For some people, I think that'd be really hard to get. Oh, but, absolutely. You know, um, but, I, but I see that with my clients that come that, you know, like how I said, like, oh, you came in for the mastery level lesson. And this is kind of the same thing about love is sometimes um, a soul deliberately chooses to be born into unloving family an unloving family because that's the mastery level it's right. easy to to know love and be love if you were just doted on and loved from from birth but to really if you can still find love after all of these really difficult yeah. if you can still find love after these fear fearful experiences fear-based experiences um then you're a master of it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I don't know if I'm a master yet. Uh, mm-hmm. I you're working I'm, on your master. I'm, I'm working. I'm working on my master. <laughs> you haven't done your dissertation. Uh, I yet, haven't. So. Yeah, that's, that's down the road. Uh, so hopefully I'll be able to get it done. I really do want that PhD. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I mean, we we just have to know that everything that is happening to us is for a reason. And it's hopefully if we don't give into it and we create more negativity, 
we have to understand that there, there's something positive that's going to come out of it. I think that we're all really masters working on this right now because um, we chose to be born into just a very fear-based time. It's 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 in our our overall culture. Um, it's it's in our politics. It's really the politics yes. have become really fear based. Yes, the messages have. that people are giving. It's in um, our religion, and so uh, we're being forced to. If we really want to be free, then we're being forced to figure out a way through that to find the love and to let go of the fear. Exactly, and fear. Fear is also the illusion of separate separation, mm-hmm. and there is no separation in this universe. Everything's interconnected. Everything's interrelated. Everything uh, is is complementing everything else. And fear-based belief systems, whether it be religious or political, they are exclusive as opposed to being inclusive. That's one of the signs of a fear-based religion. Oh, yes, we'll attend to you, but we're not going to attend to you people because you people are weird or you people don't conform to, quote unquote, God's word. So exclusion automatically gives that illusion or reinforces the illusion of separateness. And that's not what this is all about. That's not reality. Reality is the unification of everything. The unity within all things. And the only way for people to really know that, because again, it could be a belief, but it's it's not a belief. And how we come to know that is through some sort of practice that we connect within, right? Whether it's meditation or energy work or, or prayer or, or whatnot. It all comes back to... Um, everything is a belief if it doesn't come from our experience it's a belief right because somebody else told me and I believe it and so what I like about the tools that I use in my practice or what's always um, guided me towards what I would choose to believe was through my experiences so everything it's having experiences is very important to me because I'm not going to just believe something because I read it somewhere exactly. or because someone says it. But then that means that you have to be willing to take risks like you're saying, because having experiences means putting yourself out of your, your comfort zone mm-hmm. to try something and see what that experience shows you or tells you or how you feel from it and how it informs you. And I think um, one of the biggest fears that people have is the fear of the unknown, the fear of the unknown. And so I don't want to try a new experience. What if blah, blah, blah happens? What if blah, blah, blah happens? I don't know what's going to happen. So I'll just sit here in my little bubble um, because I know what happens when I sit in my bubble. But then they can't break out of the paradigm that way. Right. And then I I think we also put a lot of we put a lot of attention on authorities, and so if the, th- and so when we put these authorities on this, on their their, their podiums of, and they uh, speak, that means that that is the truth, and we 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 spend energy believing it, and following that when we really don't stop and question. I think that brings up uh, a, a quick story about how an Eskimo is talking to the Catholic priest, and he says, uh, if. Um, if I didn't know about God and has salvation, uh, 
would I go to hell? And if, if I didn't know anything about that, would I still go to hell? And the priest says, no, I don't think so. And so the Eskimo says, well, then why did you tell me? And I think that's exactly what it boils down to. Why are you telling me these things? Because suddenly, because you say it, it automatically becomes reality? I don't think so. This is, this is a paradigm shift. This is breaking out of that mold that a lot of us have to take risks and, and do. If not, we're just going to go round and round and round in circles. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like you were saying earlier, you know, a lot of people don't want to do that. They just want to listen to the guy up in front and do what he says, you know. You know, and that's fine. That's fine. If, if you feel comfortable doing that and you don't have any problems, go right ahead. Keep doing it. But like I said before, if you're doing that causes you pain and causes you suffering, stop and reconsider. Yeah, I mean, just take the time to question it, you know? Exactly. That's it. I think it's getting harder and harder for people to stay in their safe bubble mm-hmm. um, because there's more people on the planet and so there's more people and there's less resources and we're having climate change if you believe in that which (laughs) that's a joke because there's science that proves that but anyway um so climate change and and more people competing for resources means that we're having socioeconomic issues and there's a lot of instability all over the world um more and more right even just from climate change things, all these these natural disasters and so forth. And so these issues are coming up and, and people are, are being forced to, to move out of their comfort zone. They don't have a choice, which I think has been leading to this thing that's happening with people seeking out strong men as political leaders. We're seeing that all over the world. And I think it's this fear again, like, oh, I want some strong authority figure who's gonna be there to to make me feel safe but they're trading away their freedom for this false sense of safety or security but i think all of this is coming to a head where we're gonna have to deal with it we can't just let things before like continue to keep going on and and didn't seem like anything was changing now everything's changing and and you really can't avoid it and and put your head in the sand or be in your bubble anymore there's a lot of turmoil going on and i think that's there's a lot of changes happening i think growth opportunities growth opportunities for growth yes (laughs) (laughs) and uh, one thing on the environment and we can't separate spirituality from the environment. Right. They're one and the same. So if we are really not in church, if we are uh, absent from that pure unconditional love, uh, then it's going to be very difficult for us to also take care of the environment, to take care of nature. Because she's our mother and she nurtures us. Absolutely. It, it, it takes unconditional love to take care of the environment. You, you have to love nature in some way or form to take care of it. You do. So there's no getting around that. You know, there really isn't. I thought you were going to actually say that, you know, that it's going to, it is coming to a head in those ways that you were, that you mentioned, but. Oh, I think it is. Yeah. And I, I thought you were going to say that right now is a good time for other people's minds to be opened 
and their hearts to be opened really is because there are so many different ways for people to reach each other now too. Like if something is not working for one person, they can go somewhere else because there are just so many options now. You know, it's right. not like it was 20 years ago where, you know, people were still fairly separated from each other in terms of the, you know, worldwide community um, as opposed to now where people can literally be in touch with each other 24 hours a day. And um, that just gives more opportunity for someone's mind to be opened or some dire- new direction to be taken, you know? Absolutely. Right. It's, it's, it is an opportunity. I think um, I remember I was living in Houston when I was still in that cult when there was um, a hurricane that was coming. I don't remember which one because there's been so many. <laughs> a hurricane that was coming to Houston and, and, and it shut the whole city down and then it diverted the last moment. Um, but uh, so... It was coming. I was living out in Clear Lake, which is actually like outside of of Houston. And the area that I was living in was forced to evacuate. But everybody out of their fear, they started evacuating, even though it wasn't they weren't told to evacuate. So then what happened was all of these people, including myself, got trapped on the freeway. There was like too many cars and there wasn't enough um, freeway. For, I remember so, that. Yeah. Get trapped for hours and hours on the freeway. Um, and what I saw was these two diverging things is in this extreme situation there were people that were wonderful that were helping going around helping other people giving them water because it was really hot because it was houston and um and then there were people that were being total jerks and just thinking of themselves <laughs> and and so i think that's what happens in these situations you know and these we're, we're having all of these really intense challenging situations growth opportunities and and it's bringing out the best in some people and, and they're they're awakening and opening and rising to new paradigms and it's bringing out the worst in some people and they're they're falling back. They're reverting back to you know what feels uh, safe to them at a at a lower level of consciousness, which is the survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, survival exactly. Survivalist consciousness is a low vibration. Mm-hmm. It's everything. It's, yeah, it's it's where fear lives. You know, yes. it's way down there, mm-hmm. and you know, fear is overcome with understanding. You know, it really is, and so and that's a higher vibration. You know, understanding is sometimes it takes effort. And um, some people just, you know, if you're too far into fear, you you can't. It's very hard to pull yourself to up to understanding. It really is. But it's not impossible. No, no, of course. Of course not. I, I think I think love, once you, you develop that love within yourself, first loving yourself, because we can't love others unless we love ourselves first. And that means accepting ourselves the way we are. And there's some things perhaps that are not too attractive in ourselves that uh, just don't feel right, but that's okay. We have to accept those and that love. Once we develop that love and know that really it's uh, that spark of divinity within us that is causing that love and we develop it, then I think that vibrational level will go up. And like I said, like everything that we're saying right now is affecting the whole universe. The whole universe is being affected by these words. Not because I'm saying it, not because Diana say it, or because you're saying it. Tim. It's, it's, it's because we are, we are speaking from uh, a level of high frequency, of high energy, and which is love, which is unconditional love.
Yeah, so you've mentioned uh, Michael Newton a couple times, and I read those books too, and, you know, they they were really great. They were, you know, they were they were life-changing for me, you know, and um, did that get you started? Because I read somewhere that you did afterlife research. Is that what got you going yes. on that? Okay. Yes, I did five. I'm now six years of afterlife research. What does that involve? Well, it involves um, all of the evidential research that is being done. For example, the University of Virginia and the University of Arizona. They're, for example, uh, doing a lot of work with uh, near-death experiences and compiling the data on the qualities of near-death experiences. Also, the uh, University of Virginia is having, uh, they have developed a program to analyze and research the accounts of children between one and five years old, where they are indicating that they have been here before, that they have, they have other parents, they have another mommy and daddy, and they talk about um, all of these things that they wouldn't ordinarily know because they're too young to know. And in the majority of cases, uh, these are verified when they are able to, to verify them. So th this is really going into that whole area of, well, you know, these people, these kids are had a previous experience and they are reporting it. Well, they know, have no idea what reincarnation is. So that's one area. Um, the other area, like I said, was near-death experiences but also um, shared death experiences after death communications. And these are all well documented. For example, nurses in uh, palliative care or, or in uh, nursing homes or hospices, when they have their patients, for example, report that they're seeing their loved ones coming in or they're seeing these angelic beings or they immediately call the, the family and say, you better come quickly because um, so your, your family member is about ready to go. They know that because it's, it's a pattern that's been, been occurring over and over again. And any hospice nurse will tell you that. And that doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens on a consistent basis. So, I mean, there's a lot of data that is out there. It's, and it sounds like it's a bunch of woo-woo, woo-woo, whatever. And a lot of people will dismiss it as woo-woo, but this is data. This is data. These are observations that are being accumulated. So there's a lot of information out there. Yeah, that's really fascinating to me. So you've been doing this for years now then, I guess. About, I'm going on my sixth year. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, all that all that kind of data, like if, if somebody was giving an account of, of, let's say, like a car accident or something, that would be taken and written down and put as fact somewhere, you know, by the mm -hmm. police station. But if you start talking about like you're seeing angels and stuff, what's the difference? It's, it's an observation that someone's having, right. you know, right. they're, they're, they're the same thing really. I mean, yes. yeah. So you do have to take that stuff seriously. And if it's documented somewhere, then it really, it becomes real information. You right. Know? Exactly. And if people knew how common that is, right. you know, the, the thing about seeing a loved one when, when someone's close to death, I, mean, I remember, learning that my uncle who did not was not woo-woo at all um that he had seen my my grandmother came and spoke to him and i was so shocked because he was the last person i would have thought um would have that kind of experience because he was afraid of 
death. Through death, yes. And and we don't talk about death in our culture. And so and I've had a number of clients that have told me similar type of stories and I'm thinking this I think this is a common experience but because we never talk about death nobody realizes how common this is and so it's great that you compile this information and put it out there so because I do think that for some people that will open the door in their mind to to have a new paradigm I was morbidly afraid of death I mean I just was so afraid of death because now that I'm getting I guess this is the the last quarter of my life or who knows um, I all the subconscious messages that I, you get as a kid, you know, you're going to go to purgatory, you're going to go to hell, you got, you know, fat chance you're going to get to heaven. All of those messages started to surface as I was getting older. And I mean, I was just like terrified of death. And when I started reading all of this, uh, all of the information, which is, which is evidential, which is a database, the Newton uh, database, uh, completely collapsed my fear of death. I look forward to it. I look forward to it. I can't wait. You know, I've, I've had a similar experience. You know, I didn't really, I tried not to think about it because it was a scary thought to me. Um, but, you know, once I changed my point of view, I don't I don't fear death. I feel like it's just a, an experience that it's going to happen. I mean, no one gets out of it, you know. It's just something that's going to happen. But, yeah, I could I could understand how people are afraid of it, especially if you never think about it. Like, you just put it off to the side in your mind, right. and you're like, no, I'm not going to think about that. That would become scary. Right. Yeah. It really, it's, again, quantum physics. You're going from one frequency into another frequency. You're going in from a lower frequency into a higher frequency. And our etheric bodies are vibrating at that frequency it's like going from one room to another room Mm -hmm. yeah but i think that the three of us in here talking right now have had experiences where we understand that there is this higher part of ourselves right that does that doesn't exist entirely in this body and i think some people have not really truly experienced that or at least acknowledged that as an experience and I think once you have that experience, that's what really changes you because then you realize like, okay, uh, it's not all here on earth right now. It's also somewhere else. So, you know, that gives me a lot of peace when yes. I think of it that way. Out of, Go ahead. I was just going to say out of body experiences really helped me there because I realized like, oh, I'm not in my body and yet I'm still I have this consciousness I have this awareness so it doesn't come from my body so if something happened to my body I still have this awareness and consciousness Mm -hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean everybody has to have out-of-body experience or same with near-death experiences people say that they experienced all this love and so then they're not afraid of death but like you said there's other ways to to just through meditation to connect to your eternal self and realize that it's not just this physical self. Yeah, and we're not alone. We're not alone. We are infinitely loved, and we are infinitely supported by a tremendous amount of uh, help and support that is of a higher vibration, a higher frequency. So anybody out there who thinks that they're alone, you're not alone. You You have a cheering squad that's cheering you on, and but if you need help, ask for the help. The help is is there and it's available, but you have to ask for it. And don't be afraid to ask for it. 
asking for it is is opening yourself to exactly it. and so um that divine help loves us so much that it honors our free will so if we're not going to open to it it's not going to invade our free will and but when we choose to open then then it can come in and and work with us exactly exactly and free will is sacred Mm-hmm. That's one of the things, one of the main takeaways from reading the the Michael Newton research, and uh, is free will is sacred, and that's what makes uh, makes us able to grow and, and to learn. But um, if we don't ask for help, we don't get the help, because no one I think uh, is above the law, and. Uh, we are bound by that law of free will, and if you don't ask for it, well, sorry, you didn't ask for me. I couldn't help you. Yeah, exactly. That it goes with the law of free will. Like they can't give you help if if you're not asking for it, you know, because right. that infringes on your free will. Right. So. And and you can if you don't believe in God, that's fine. I think some of the greatest spiritual teachers that we've had on earth are people who have been atheists or agnostics uh, and uh, because their mind was there was a clean slate there and they were able to see once they saw the the evidence that was there then they go oh wow yeah I, what did Steve Jobs say before he died do you know what did Steve Jobs said no he said he had a moment of lucidity because he was uh, in a coma or unconscious he had a moment of lucidity which happens in a lot of patients before they pass on and he says oh wow oh wow oh wow as he was contemplating what was on the other side and then he passed oh wow i didn't know that (laughs) i didn't mean to say that either (laughs) it just came out i know yeah it was inspired it was (laughs) So, Michael, is there uh, anywhere where people can find you online? Yes, uh, we have a Facebook group called Freedom from Fear-Based Belief Systems. Also, the uh, my book, The Face of the Iguana, there is uh, a uh, Facebook page for that. And my pen name is uh, Patrick J. McCallick, by the way. So, Okay, and can you mention your book one more time? It's called The Face of the Iguana, and it's... Um, Freedom from Toxic Beliefs, A Journey in Healing and Transformation. Can people find that on Amazon? They can find it on Amazon and uh, also Barnes & Noble and uh, major booksellers will have it. They may have to order it, but uh, Amazon has it readily available. Okay, great. And so on your Facebook page, is it you're organizing a group there? It's already organized. So if you would like to join, just um, ask to join the group. And um, then you are, will will accept you into the group. Do you guys have meetings or anything that? No, it's it's mainly an on group, an online group, to be able to share information and discuss uh, spiritual issues, especially dealing with people who have had individuals who've had problems with uh, fear-based belief systems. Um, there, there's another group called Recovering from Religion that um, is active on Facebook. And we've had quite a few of those uh, individuals also be on our... Okay, so uh, there's some crossover there. Yes, there's some crossovers there. Yeah, you bet. Okay. All right, well, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I'd like to say thank you to our guest, Michael Hoffman, for sharing his story and his knowledge with us. We appreciate him taking the time to speak with us. I also want to thank Casey Henson for creating the music and Tiana Roser for all the work she does on this podcast. For more information about this podcast, as well as past episodes and more, please visit our website at beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. And be sure to follow us on social media as well. Take care.